Hi, my name is Branko Melodic and today you are listening to Talking Architecture and Design podcast brought to you from the Architecture and Design Network. Today is our second in our five-part series on commercial design, proudly brought to you in association with StormTech, an Australian success story. StormTech are the original linear drain inventors currently used worldwide. StormTech's skilled specialists work closely with specifiers, architects and builders to offer tailored drainage solutions, free site measures, bespoke drawings and plans for customised drainage designs for all Australian commercial projects. Their products are watermark certified and they are the only drainage manufacturer worldwide to achieve both gold and platinum green tag certifications and sustainability is at the core of their business. Their full product range is available in a range of powder coated colours and electroplated finishes to suit any trend. Find out more by visiting stormtech.com.au. And today we have with us Chris Fan from People Parkers. How are you, Chris? Going well, thank you, Branko. Thanks for having me. Okay, so as we contemplate returning to the office, clients and their employees are asking, how can we design outdoor environments that give us the health benefits of fresh air and, and connection to nature? while also providing structured spaces that support productivity and collaboration. The People Parkers Recycled Plastic Mobile Parklet facilitates the rapid, sustainable and considered reimagining of car parking spaces and roadways into temporary outdoor dining quarters. Excuse me. Roadways are public space. And this product is a tactical mechanism used to temporarily relocate the space and inform options for long-term changes of use. In 2015, People Parkers was born out of a Glebe Point Road, that's in Sydney, Glebe Point Road trial parklet program, which was a case study of how parklets could be used to improve amenity, community and um, business outcomes along what is a rather busy Glebe Point Road. Thank you, thank you for spending time with us, Chris. So, I've explained what people parkers are, but can you explain, Chris, why were they set up in the first place? Yeah, really, it was a community project. Uh, I was the president of a chamber of commerce in, as you said, Glebe in Sydney, which is an inner west Sydney um, historical suburb, and had a lot of character and a lot of interesting people living behind the scenes, but the main street, in my opinion, didn't seem to reflect a lot of that culture, creativity and community that I had become a part of in my time there. And so it was a real project to explore how we could bring some of that uniqueness out of the woodwork and into the main street. So we started a project under the Glebe Chamber of Commerce to to look at ways that we could repurpose some car parking spaces. It was also about trying to compete with um, Australia's most profitable shopping centre six years in a row, which is the Broadway Shopping Centre in Sydney there, which was at the end of Glebe Point Road. So, you know, it was a real David versus Goliath um, relationship there with with that facility, um, with the main street um, and a shopping centre. It's a classic tale all around Australia and the world. And instead of trying to be 
better than them, we were trying to highlight the differences. What did we have? We had outdoor space. It wasn't very well utilised, so we were trying to maximise that and uh, allow the community to come together in that space and, and be themselves and represent themselves. Interesting you, you say that. I, I actually didn't realise that about a Broadway um, shopping centre. There you go. Who knew? It's a right. money machine. Matter of fact, money machine. There you go. Um, look, that's interesting, isn't it? Because parking, firstly, in any city, like you know, whether it be Sydney, Melbourne, Shanghai, New York, London, whatever, is really uh, both a sore point and, and a premium, really, when you're talking mm. about money. So... You've worked with a number of architects. Um, what is it that you think architects see in your concept and, and how does it help with urban designs? Going back to what I said about, you know, parking spaces, because that, you know, it's, it's a very convoluted issue, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they're very, um, very public spaces. They're very contested spaces and they're potentially very dangerous spaces as well. So um, we ran our first trial in Glebe um, with an existing product that a community group um, from Clavelli had, had created, which was in a shipping container, a converted shipping container, which we just hired and, and had a trial. We quickly realised that we needed something a bit more specific. Um, we wanted to test a whole heap of locations across the suburbs so having something that was mobile and um, a little bit um, easier to move um, cheaper to move actually because we needed to use crane trucks and all and have you know a whole heap of traffic management systems like the original process that we worked with the city of sydney to develop to to, to take out that car space and use it as people space was um, quite long to say the least um, it was the city of sydney's first parklet back in 2015 and then we as a chamber engaged um, two architects, Alexander Symes and Branko Jarek to um, assist with designing something fit for purpose. And that became our mobile parklet product, which is essentially a trailer seating area with um, planters around the perimeter and um, umbrella shading that can be easily installed and removed uh, into a car parking space and was registered as well. So it was legally able to park there without too many permits, but that also brought up its own um, challenges because you then had to abide by the parking permits. And anyway, we, we created a process that was a bit more fluid to, to utilise that space. And the reason, one of the, so I was just going to say, the other thing about working with architects is you're getting that professional approach. You're getting that aesthetic design principles that myself, I do not <laughs> proclaim to have. Um, you're getting the adaptability and the thought of the use. I'm a big believer in, in form following function and making sure that the end user is considered at the, at the forefront and and also things that I wouldn't have considered initially either some access um, ability to get engineering um, certification um, and then also when you're working with a professional design uh, practitioner you're getting that professional indemnity and all of the um, the risk mitigation that can come with engaging someone who who does this for a living so yeah and in that environment where you've got vehicles going past it's very uh, important to consider that and how, how you work within that environment safely okay how did the other you know retailers or the other other, other tenants near your, near your uh, people parkers how, uh, what, what was their comment what was their reaction 
Yeah, we've learned a lot about this. And as I said, it's public space. So I believe in the democratisation of that space. Uh, for over 100 years now, um, the car has been king in, in urban design uh, and the people have been secondary. Um, the fact that you can park in a car park on a main street um, open your door onto oncoming traffic, um, open your rear door to where your baby's sat, you know, get the pram out of the boot, bring the pram down on side the oncoming traffic, put your child in the pram, close it, and then go back uh, uh, onto the footpath somehow um, up, a, up a, a curb. Uh, I think that, yeah, that, that leaves a lot to be desired, uh, our thoughts of how we use that space and, and um, sorry, going back to the question, I just went off in topic there when no, I started no, no, talking no, about no, the pram no, and the baby. really <laughs> what you just said. No, no, no. That's, mm. that, that is really from a point of view of design or, mm. or how would I say usage, we're kind of doing it the wrong way around, aren't we? Yeah, 100%. So bringing it back to that community and the democratisation, that's where I lost my train of thought. But <laughs> there's one particular use there that's not even fit for purpose, which is car parking. Um, and then when you start to look at what else is around, so the other businesses, as you mentioned, um, what do they want from that space? I, I had a cafe on that street and I had a loading zone in front of me that I didn't utilise. I was the only business in the proximity of that loading zone. So I sat um, looking out from my cafe co-working space at you know big trucks that were blocking um, the view um, from, the, to, from the roadway to my cafe all day and they weren't actually delivering anything to my business. So I kind of got a bit of a pet peeve and wanted to <laughs> utilise that space uh, uh, that actually impacted my business in a positive way. When you start going into other people's territory, if you will, people who are paying rent 24-7 on a premises and you're starting to do stuff outside there, engagement is king. And a lot of councils do this really poorly. Some do it really well. And I think the successful activations around Australia and the pandemic parklet movement that's happened, the councils that have taken the time to involve the business community or the community groups or the residents in that project are the ones which will have um, some longevity. Um, half of the pandemic parklets across Australia are probably now packed up and, and that space may well have been um, handed back to, to car parking usage. So it's important to do it right. And, and the way to do it right is to involve the people who actually live, work, um, and enjoy that space on the daily instead of just the, the council sitting on a, on a desk in, um, in the CBD. The pandemic parklet movement. I can see a bumper sticker and a T-shirt. <laughs> Say okay, so I know it's, this is this is only audio, right? So can you actually explain as as best as you can, I guess, exactly what is a parklet? What's it made of? How big is it? How heavy is it? Um, what color is it? You know, what kind of design? Form, how would I say? Um, mm. You know, you know what I mean. What, what kind of profile does it have? What exactly is a parklet? Oh, I don't think limiting it to those constraints. Um, is necessary. I mean, for me, a parklet um, is probably an outdated term, to be honest. It's, it's now become about that space and those spaces that we're talking about are traditional car parking spaces um, or roadways um, in, in urban centres or, or anywhere really and, and how that space is, is allocated. And, and for me, a parklet is like the classic definition would go something along, you know, the temporary repurposing of a public space um, 
to facilitate um, commerce, community and, you know, culture uh, instead of car parking. Um, how that is done is all about what the end outcome is. Do you want people to dine in it? Do you want people to, you know, perform acoustic music from it? Do you want um, mothers groups to meet up in it? So um, the design really should follow the purpose, um, but the term parklet is, is all about that temporary activation to, to demonstrate an alternate use of a space that's traditionally been used for something else, i.e. car parking. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in the 2021 Sustainability Award, this last year's Sustainability Awards, you won the Public and Urban Landscape category. That was for that Glebe Point Road project you spoke about. Can you explain to me, how did that actually come about? I mean, the reason I'm asking this is because, uh, you know, I've heard of a lot of things, but I've never heard of Parklands until you submitted your your um, your cool. nomination. That's a win. That's a win. Well, it is a win, but I'm sure I'm not the only one. So how did how did the Glebe, is it Glebe Council, did you say? I was with the City of Sydney, that project. and Yes, um, yes. How, did they, how, how did they find, how did this, process become something that they were interested in because it's you know as you, as you mm. said councils can be either you know your best advocates or your biggest hurdle yeah yeah I mean city of Sydney was both in that process and and I think that allowed um, a lot of learnings from all ends the most unfortunate thing about the 2015-2016 trial that we conducted in Glee Point Road was that it sat on the shelf then for five years afterwards um, there were some actionable items there to create a parklet policy and to, to look at um, the process of how you can activate these spaces a bit um, more readily and in a more considered way. We were really utilising a methodology that was designed for skip bins to be placed outside construction sites. That's really the pathway that we were provided. So um, there was a lot of traffic management um, required to to block off traffic whilst a, a truck or a crane installed um, this thing temporarily into a car space. And then there was different signage and things you had to adhere to, to, to warn vehicles. And um, yeah, so we, was, we were hacking a process and we worked with council to the, the council team at the time to, to find that process that might suit and, and worked with that. Unfortunately, it was quite expensive process for a community organization such as a chamber of commerce. Um, I think the first grant we got was for $10,000 and three quarters of it went on um, traffic engineers, traffic control staff and all of those kinds of things that really is essentially wasted money in my opinion. Um, if you've got a policy that can help funnel and guide that without needing too much intervention from individual professionals. So yeah, look at the city of Sydney, they have actually done a really amazing job since so the demand for parklets all of a sudden popped its head up again in 2020 when we went into lockdown businesses were suffering people needed to be spaced out all of a sudden outdoor space was um was super sought after and in the inner sydney environment it's super scarce so the car parking space when you didn't have those commuters or that commercial activity happening in the cbd was all of a sudden up for grabs and the city of sydney followed suit to places like New York, which actually um, blocked off entire 
um, blocks of Manhattan. I, I can't recall how many, I think it's 82 blocks or something like that of Manhattan got um, pedestrianised during the pandemic recovery. Um, and City of Sydney followed suit there. And same with actually um, City of Melbourne did a really amazing job as well. Um, so yeah, eventually they've been able to find a methodology and working also, the state governments have played a big role in this ability now for councils to do this a bit easier because obviously a lot of roadway is actually controlled by um, the state uh, and a lot of the requirements um, and legislation that have to be adhered to on that on that roadway are, are, are governed by the state. So things like the Streets of Shared Spaces campaign by the Department of Planning, I always forget what the I is, and Environment, the DPIE in New South Wales, rolled out this, rolled out this program, Streets of Shared Spaces, which um, allowed a delegated authority to councils um, over those roadways and allowed them to activate them in different ways and test different ways. So, yeah, the City of Sydney, I think, had over 200 car parking spaces um, repurposed during um, post-pandemic recovery. Not that we're post-pandemic yet, even. No. But um, the City of Melbourne, I think, was a combined $50 million between state and council to do their activations as well throughout the city. So um, it really came to the forefront as, as the pandemic. And I think it, it, it's really opened the ideology up to a broader audience. And it was quite amazing to see that ideological transformation happen in 2020, 2021, from being an obscure silly thing that myself and some architects were doing on the side uh, to like, this is a really valuable thing that, that um, businesses and communities can benefit from in this moment. What is, what is a flex zone? Something I noticed on, 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 your, um, on, your, on your submission for the awards. Can you explain what a flex zone actually is? Parklets originated in San Francisco at about 2010, where, um, you know, as all um, slightly left-wing movements seem to originate, um, you know, people just started reclaiming the space and putting money in the meter and uh, created a thing called Parking Day, and um, it became a movement that was created and, and germinated from, from San Francisco 2010. From then, you know, we're very much behind the times in Australia uh, with this movement, but we are able to benefit from looking at best practices and skipping some of the, the learnings and the headaches, hopefully. But um, Seattle um, is one example in America that's gone to another level. Um, San Francisco has gone to a place, they have um, the Liz zones, the living innovation zones, and then uh, Seattle calls these zones the flexi zones or flex zones. Um, basically, this is just if you topographically topographically look down at a city, and you you highlight all of the car parking spaces, so all of those lanes on every single street throughout a city grid, you start to look at the square meterage of that and go, that's some pretty uh, immense land that is dedicated for one purpose, which is the storage of private vehicles. You have to remember that. People talk about um, people talk about the um, commercialization of public space a lot in this sphere. When you start to talk about you know utilizing car parking space as dining space, and are you commercializing it? Well, at least commercialization of that space is is giving something 
an opportunity to the masses to enjoy it. Whereas a car parking space, someone can park their vehicle there, a private vehicle, just store it, go overseas for, for three weeks, and the poor business owner's stuck looking at this dodgy old Datsun out the front of their high-end fashion store, you know? Yeah, so, so look, I mean, Flex Zones and Liz... Uh, I want to say Liz zones, but that's like saying ATM machines or yeah. um, rat rat tests. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Liz zones. Um, they're looking at that space as as public space, and and how do you make it be utilised for other things potentially? Um, the committee for Sydney has approached me um, as well to be part of a project that I think is getting off the ground called the Everyday Culture Project, and my provocation for that should this go ahead is actually for Sydney itself to look at that space and reset it, reset it back to a default and go, okay, this is not parking space. This is public space. In order for a company, a resident or a developer to request for that to be used as car parking space, they then have to go through the same process that someone wanting to do a parklet or some other wacky alternate use of that space have to go through to prove the benefit to the community to actually go through all the rigmarole and BS that I've had to suffer for the last six years to prove that um, these spaces have other potential uses. So the provocation would be to start to look at that as purely public space and have a process that equally weighs up uses of that, that and, and judges them on public benefit versus just purely historical precedent that that is what that space is there for. So, hmm. In some ways, it's almost like you're, you're doing similar work. I mean, I'm going to be very careful to what Banksy does. Aren't you beautiful? <laughs> well, I know, I know it's, it's, it's probably a strange I, I do. I do call this uh, my mid-30s punk project. So, you know, this is as bad as punk as my life gets right now. <laughs> but what I was going to say is he, what he does is he beautifies what is essentially yucky, urban, you know, brown, grey, black, concrete space. He tries mm. to humanise it, okay? Yeah. It's kind of what you're doing, isn't it? Well, look, in an ideal world, yes, I'm not going to liken myself to Banksy that's <laughs> that's next level but um uh the yeah as I said it right at the start where the project come came from is trying to bring out that culture and community and creativity from the woodwork of an area and have it presented and and lived out in the public space because that's what the people want and that's what the people are that that utilize that space so um whatever they are could become you know as you say, the beautification because it's beautiful to them. Um, our products, my people parkers products, are um, they can be quite plain just to sort of go under the radar. So a lot of the materials, and I think we'll talk about materials in a second, uh, it can you know, be quite plain and unassuming and sort of undercover, if you will, or we can really, you know, pimp them up by putting artwork and designs and colour and creativity all over and through them. So it's up to the individual purpose uh, of that project. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We are indebted to StormTech, whose sponsorship of the 2022 Commercial Design Series has made all this possible. StormTech are proud to be Australian inventors, Australian manufacturers, and 100% Australian made and owned for over 30 years. 
all of Stormtech's product range are watermark certified, which is vitally important for building insurance. Sustainability is also one of the most important aspects of Stormtech's culture. In fact, they take it so seriously, they are the only drainage manufacturer worldwide to achieve gold and platinum green tag certifications. Stormtech's skilled specialists work closely with specifiers, architects and builders to offer tailored drainage solutions, including bespoke drawings and plans for customised drainage designs for all Australian environments. In addition, they also offer a free on-site measurement service. Find out more by visiting stormtech.com.au. And now it's back to the show. Okay, you mentioned material. So what are some, I mean, you've mentioned a lot of admin and, and you know, legal and, and, and logistical challenges that you face, but what are some of the design challenges? And in that, what kind of materials do you use? And what are your favourite materials that you like to work with and why? Yeah. Um, so there's lots of design challenges in that space. Safety is the big one. And and the siloing of uh, responsibilities, it, it's very important to get all of the... Um, all the stakeholders internally in government together at the start and not just right at the 11th hour go, hey, we need that traffic sign changed. And then the traffic department goes, well, what's a parklet? Let's start back at the start. You know, it, it, it's important to get that buy-in early on um, because the design challenges really are about adapting and repurposing that space. So safety is a big consideration. And it's very interesting how how important it is to some councils to address that to the nth degree and how um, how loose some councils can actually be, to be honest. Uh, I feel I feel like I, sometimes I've got to put some parameters around uh, the safety considerations. Um, so, yeah, our, our, uh, my designs have that I've worked on with, with Alex and Branco, the, the architects have gone from this mobile adaptive use, which, you know, was, was sort of going through a loophole of being a registered vehicle, um, through to starting to consider things like access and impact protection. Uh, created a product called the Perimeter Parklet, which is the second design I worked on with Alex in particular and, uh, and prototyped with Branco. Um, and that product actually took um, uh, water-filled barriers, so certified traffic barriers that have an impact protection up to 50 kilometres an hour that's, yeah. that makes councils and, and governments feel quite at ease about having people inside that space that is, is the perimeter is created around by those products and actually cladding them. Um, so there's a, a thing that happened somewhere in America called the Jersey barriers, which this kind of references where, um, you know, concrete barriers, people, um, designers just started hooking over like benches and things that sat on top of them and just started to hack those, those barricades. And that was kind of another design movement that I sort of took reference from. And, and we, we created this, um, perimeter parklet with um, what I call barrier attachment modules. So, you know, they're things that, that actually strap on um, with heavy duty ratchet straps to the, um, the barriers and clad them either side in, with seating, plants, bike parking, um, lots of adaptability depending on, on what our client wanted. They're very, that was a good product, a lot of work, <laughs> creating a, a modular product, lots of little bits. There's a lot of design, a lot of installation instructions required. So I learned quite quickly that maybe going back to the single product was also a good idea. So created a, um, what I called a pergola and a patio park, which are on the same base, basically a metal 
uh, steel skid that has um, four industrial wheels that wind up and down on the corners. So it can actually go up in the back of a tow truck um, just to hook it up and, and yank it up on the back of a, a, a flatbed tow truck, tilt tray tow truck. And when you're installing it, it's, um, it's able to be uh, micro-manoeuvred into place, leveled, and then you wind the wheels up and, and um, it's, it's in place semi-permanently. So yeah, there's been a lot of design considerations along the way and just sort of learning and, and doing that iterative design process, um, learning from, from things along the way. So that's, that's basically where the products are at now. Um, we have a suite going from super temporary with the mobile parklet um, through to ticking council boxes with the safety components of the perimeter parklet and also the modularity that comes with that and the customizability. And then um, the pergola and the patio park, which are kind of more semi-permanent um, installations and can sit there for, for a bit longer and weigh about a ton themselves. So you can, yeah, assume that position and, and feel quite strong <laughs> sitting on a, on a roadway. And I've got to point out that you work with another Branco that's not me occasionally. <laughs> yeah, no. Let, let's get that, that out of the way because people think that I actually can design something, which I can't. Um, <laughs> let's talk about your Kensington Street Chicken Off project. And the reason I, 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 I mentioned that one is because that's another part of Sydney that's really congested, isn't it? That's that's where where space is, you know. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, to use and, and that that's <laughs> it's very very cramped. Can you talk talk us through that project a bit, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a very interesting part of Sydney. So it's. Um, yeah, Chippendale, so very inner Sydney, the next suburb over from Glebe, closest to the city. Um, and Kensington Street is this dining precinct, essentially, that um, forward-thinking um, property developer called Dr Stanley Quick actually owns one side of the street. So it's uh, on the other side of the street, uh, like another property developer, which I, uh, I won't um, name, but, yeah, they... they, they, they occupy that so it's really quite there's really just two stakeholders from you know uh, an ownership point of view um, but lots of different individual businesses and, and retailers and yeah once again when the pandemic hit um, this is where we started started the product started to really find a new purpose um, and we were engaged to bring in a mobile park to help them temporarily close off the roadway and create a whole street of outdoor dining um, a lot of um, councils in in Melbourne, um, the city of Stonington in particular did similar things mm -hmm. um, down there as well at the same time. But it was a really, for me, it was like a damn wall kind of project where we had this idea on the shelf that we designed four or five years ago and it was plonked into this quite prominent area where the city of Sydney backed it as, as a trial um, themselves. And, and from that, there was um, a tsunami if you will, of parklets that, that went through the city. So I'm not claiming um, the work of the City of Sydney team that did all those parklets by any means, but it was really nice to, at that real first bit of the pandemic, hitting uh, a, a private property developer going, we need help, we need to repurpose our street, get people back to our restaurants, help them feel safe and spread out and, um, and, and, and breathe life back into this street. And we were able to, to sort of bring in what I call the Trojan horse, which is our mobile parklet. And um, we actually did that. Uh, that parklet was done with um, recycled plastic materials as well, which is um, part of the um, sustainable design um, 
that, that we'd always wanted to do. We talk about materiality before. I didn't quite get there, to be honest. But traditionally, we've used wooden products. Um, and it was our foray into uh, recycled plastic to replace um, those materials to, to do the same job um, and learned a lot about um, sustainable materials, limitations, um, the, the, the strength considerations, um, the, the way that they flex and move in, in heat and, and sunlight. Um, so there's a lot to be considered in that field as well that we got to to play with and yeah I think at the moment there's a lot of federal investment in that sphere and I really look forward to those products actually being easier to work with um, they say that utilizing you know recycled plastic sheeting and and um, profiles that replicate um, pieces of timber um, can be utilized you can use um, you know, woodworking machinery to, to work with them you can the thing they don't tell you <laughs> is you have to use a super um, coarse blade um, because when you use any other blades the thing heats up that much it just starts spitting melted plastic all over you okay. and all over the room and <laughs> it's quite yeah we, we lost a, a little yes yeah that's a variable that we didn't expect to, to come home after every day in the in the workshop you know covered in crap and having to clean out the machines for another two hours thereafter so yeah the things you learn on the tools has the pandemic made it more likely for councils to redevelop outdoor spaces? Um, and is that only because of the pandemic or are there other reasons? I think there's a lot of innovative thinkers inside these behemoths called councils around Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, there's a lot of frustrated innovative thinkers that are sitting underneath middle and top management that are risk adverse and conservative and bow to the to the naysayers rather than the yaysayers um what the pandemic did and what i saw it it did is allow these these people with these ideas to go hey what about this hey what about this is this the time for this and the victorian and, and new south wales government in particular brought out these overarching place activation strategies the streets of shared spaces and forgive me i cannot recall the, the name of the victorian one um and they gave councils the ability they, they basically said test some things you know go out there in your public space and if you've got ideas on the shelf pitch them at us and, and let's have a go to, to test these ideas to, to help people feel safe and comfortable back in in public again and it was really um a bit of a renaissance, if you will, and an ideological shift, a um, zeitgeist moment, if you will, where I'm now talking to you about parklets and you're going to take this on to, to a larger audience and, um, and those people that are listening to this hopefully then um, bring that into their own practice and start to look at that space differently and how they might be able to influence the use of it. So, yeah, it was a real um, lovely thing to be a part of in a, in, a, in a bad way that it took a pandemic to bring this value of public space into that broader consciousness. Interesting. So you talk about people in councils that are, that are you know, that are, that are really good at what they do and others who maybe not so. Does the, does the acceptance of, of your, your, your purpose, does, does it vary in terms of 
um, parts of um, uh, Australian CBDs, um, does it fluctuate? Or, uh, or is it, does it vary from city to city? Or, or does it vary? How, how does it actually, like, you know, in terms of popularity, where, mm. where, are, where are your pathways most popular? Where they're wanted, you know. It's location, location, location. It's, it really is. It's about high, like if it, car parking is very necessary in a lot of environments. Don't get me wrong. Um, I've, I've run businesses that have relied on that um, as a component of their business model, but it's not the be all and end all. So it's really about highlighting those locations, those communities that want it, that have voiced it. You know, it's about, um, as I said, the democratization of public space. So, you know, the bureaucrats in the, in the, the ivory towers can make stuff happen, but they need the go ahead from the elected representatives, which get the pressure on them from the people. So it's about using that democratic process to, to go to your local councillor and say, this is ridiculous. We do not want car parking in our street. We could use this space in such a better way. Can you please help us make this happen? And then that person going to the council meeting, putting in a motion to get something happening in their area, then the the, the bubbling bureaucrats that are just waiting for their moment to shine can come and push the paper and make it all happen um, and allow and you know free up some money for contractors and suppliers like myself and and other des and designers um, to to create solutions and install them you know so it's it's using that democratic process to 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 get to get a result that's um, about the community that want it it's where they don't work um, yeah. Conversely, where they're not wanted. Of all places in Australia where I thought that a parklet would be brilliant, we did a couple in Mullumbimby for the Byron Shire. Right. Fantastic uh, council to work with. Um, had this sort of overarching strategy. We did the installation. I wasn't involved in the location selection in hindsight. Having the same infrastructure in slightly, like I'm talking 20 metres, 30 metre different locations would have had such a tremendous impact on the, the success of those activations because they would have been in front of active community hubs where people were coming and going and engaging in discourse and ideas. There's a lot of people on the streets in Mullumbimby talking about ideas and it was a fantastic installation to be part of. But unfortunately, once we left, once we, we took the, you know, the Instagram photos and we signed off the, the check with council and, and got the praise for a great installation you sort of leave and it's it's in the hands of the people then and unfortunately the locations and and then the follow-up what i call software so you know the parklets are the hardware the physical infrastructure it's about the software and activating that space thereafter to get that community and give them an opportunity to engage with it and get a sense of ownership that didn't quite go to the extent that was required and there was some very anti-social behaviour that developed um, with people literally sleeping, living in these spaces and getting quite territorial and um, destructive with the space. And that was very, for a very peaceful, idealistic community, it was quite disappointing, um, but it was really about the locations um, allowing that, you know, it, it wouldn't have been allowed by people if, if you know at 6am there was someone setting up cafe tables there and you know someone's had a big party in it the night before and spilled their guts up all over the place you know that would get sorted out naturally <laughs> so yeah. so anyway that's it's 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 all about individual locations there's no right answer it's it's just about the desire for it to be there 
it's all the veganism that makes them angry. I was going to say, um, <laughs> what what are you designing at present? Well, yeah, I at this stage personally, it's a, it's an in- interesting question. I, I've actually moved on to a, a, a recycling, a piece of public space recycling infrastructure um, that looks at the container exchange programs around Australia where people are getting the 10 cent refunds for cans and bottles mm-hmm. and the way the gap in in how those are collected which I don't know about you but in Surrey Hills I'd imagine you'd see quite a few people going around with trolleys or bags and rummaging through public refuse to find those little nuggets of 10 cent gold um, and risking tremendous injury to themselves and also hygiene issues public disturbance and sort of somewhat antisocial behavior but uh, where I've designed a um, <clears throat> with a, a different business partner a docking station that attaches near general refuse bins where people can place these cans and bottles when they're finished for them for other people to come and collect. So it's a it's a very simple um, product called the bin bypass, um, and we're just starting to roll that out. We've got a patent on that um, design and also the um, the system around it, and um, yeah, looking at adding some dignity, some safety and some efficiency to, to those urban recyclers that are that are out there collecting um, bottles and cans um, on the everyday without any infrastructure to support that activity, even though it is very, um, very much desired by governments that that activity happens. They're, they're, we're providing an opportunity for governments to enable that a bit easier. It sounds like something you should be uh, submitting to this year's sustainability award. <laughs> actually, sounds quite fascinating. Actually, I... yeah, thanks. It's I mean, it's a solution to a problem, and there's a there's a yeah. there are global examples of it as well. We've we've got a very unique design um, globally that I've come up with, very, very simple and efficient. Um, but yeah, the learnings from Parklets, which is a very technical and quite difficult to be honest product, and um, industry to be in because there's a lot of variables and a, a lot of um, legislation um, yeah it's a, something quite simple and refined and but learning the as you say the materiality but also the design process of industrial design and simplicity and manufacturing and making sure it's a very smooth efficient process and also cost effective um, and also efficient material use of materials as well so there's very limited very minimal wastage now in our product that we've designed. So, yeah, that's that's where I'm at at the moment. So, in the future, what would you like to see done with our urban spaces, and design-wise, I mean, and why? Well, I can really I, I, in this. I'd only speak for for my own urban space where I I feel like I should have agency. Um, other people's and other communities' public spaces about what they would like. So. I think just better avenues to listen to those individuals and enable those communities to do their own projects. You know, having governments and designers too much involved in the public realm can be very limiting. For me, I'd like to really see um, communities themselves be empowered to, to do things that that make that public space work for them and, and their neighbours and the, the neighbouring businesses and things like that. So anything that governments and designers can do, create, that actually the end result is people being able to do it for themselves because it's it's their space that they use. I think that's where I'd like to see this all go. 
Hmm. Okay. That sounds like a very noble and very interesting pursuit. <laughs> well, it's, admit that he's punk, mate, you know. Exactly. <laughs> well, on that note, Chris Spann, the, the Banksy of urban, urban uh, Sydney uh, parking space redesign, thank you very much for your time. Chris Spann, a.k.a. Spanksy. But, yes, there you go. No, that was fun. Thanks, Branko, and, and thanks to your audience for tuning in, and I look forward to seeing what they do with public space in the future. You've been thanks. Thank you very much, Chris. And that was Chris Spann from Facebook Marcus. Um, you've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Branko Melitic. Thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. The A&D Network proudly presents the Sustainability Awards now in their 14th year. You can find more information at sustainablebuildingawards.com.au.